0: Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. We live in an age of rapid technological advancements, where innovation is driving everything from the way we work to the way we communicate, travel, and even think. With each passing day, new breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. In this podcast, We'll delve into the latest trends and topics in the tech industry, examining how emerging technologies are shaping the future of society. From artificial intelligence and robotics to the Internet of Things and quantum computing, we'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations. Along the way, we'll hear from experts, thought leaders, and innovators in the field as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is Tektastic.
1: So one of the great joys of doing something like a podcast is the opportunity to spend time dedicated to singing other people's praises, uh, to be able to interact with great people that are doing amazing things. And in today's news, coming out of uh, some recent product launches. There's a couple that stand out to me, and and the first one I'm gonna talk about is the observability platform, Honeycomb, and their uh, recent launch of the Query Assist. It's a new capability leveraging generative AI to enable natural language querying for observability data. So rather than having to understand, um, for example, SQL, somebody can use natural language to understand how their apps are running and um, generally all the things that go into observability. And I had the pleasure of meeting Charity Majors, uh who's the CEO, founder of the company, just before the company started, before Honeycomb started, and she impressed me thoroughly. And so it's, it's great to see them coming out with something so far in front of uh, the rest of the market and being so innovative. Uh, related to that, though, actually, Another company in the observability space uh, is New Relic, and they announced uh, the launch of Grok, which is a great name, a generative AI assistant uh, that helps engineering teams monitor, debug, secure, and improve their software stacks using natural language prompts also. Um, In the case of Honeycomb and Grok, they both come embedded in their observability platforms. So uh, they're integrating it directly into it. It's not a standalone product. Really, really amazing tools coming out. A major announcement in the space, as far as another natural language chat GPT-like system is Inflection AI. It's the artificial intelligence startup founded by LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman and Google DeepMind co-founder Mustafa Suleiman. They just released their first AI chatbot product. They're calling it Pi. They developed this technology in-house and the chatbot was built prioritizing human-like conversations with a high level of uh, emotional intelligence, which is pretty neat, including being kind and supportive. The chatbot is suitable for things like personal day-to-day tasks, but not for generating code or essays. And uh, the company's actually spent considerable time on boundary training to make sure that AI did not violate its behavior policies, including engaging in romantic conversations, because evidently that's become a a problem. Uh, the goal is to make sure that the AI always knows it's an AI and never tries to Im- imitate a human. So, major product announcements, and, they, and one of the things that I've noticed is I've started paying a lot more attention to the space around news and product announcements. Is the news tends to be uh, often dire, like a lot of the news media is pointing to the the risks that are happening. But if you if you look at the inverse, if you look at like what's going on, these are some uh, fantastic improvements that are going to really help these companies, and more importantly, their customers, to uh, improve their own processes, to be more efficient, and yes, that can have an impact on on uh, people's jobs, but I actually think it creates more, more opportunity than it takes away. One of the areas that's going to be radically impacted across industries is the IT sector. And, and anytime a new technology comes out, that's largely true. It, it doesn't matter what it was. Uh, you know, Cloud computing meant that we weren't doing server farms necessarily anymore. We didn't have uh, our own hosting solutions and we didn't have our own data centers. And so that meant that some of the e- IT teams that were internal became externalized Uh, Maybe, but oftentimes it just meant that they had to play a different role and it doesn't matter where you're at in the technology space. The the truth is that we're always changing, we're always evolving, there's always new technologies coming out and changes to processes or uh, best practices have changed and so you're always adapting and so it's critical that we're all learning. Uh, And maybe tools like Pi, for example, can make it easier to stay in front of it to have a better idea of what's coming, what changes are going to occur, and allow you to adapt to it and understand it. And tools like, I don't know, Honeycomb's observability platform with their query assist makes it easier for you to figure out how your applications and environments are performing and and better predict outages and make sure that customers aren't impacted. As I've been thinking more and more about the space and uh, getting deeper into it, there's a couple things that keep back of mind uh questions that i keep asking myself and i keep looking for answers and my hope is that by asking the audience asking the people that are listening that uh, you'll help me find a better more fulfilling answer than what i've come up with so the question i'm gonna put out there today is how is chat gpt and other you know, artificial intelligence chatbot-like products, how are they fundamentally different than Siri or Alexa? And why are people more afraid of them and more excited by them? Now, my belief, and I'll put up what I think the answer is, uh, though please prove me wrong, is it simply comes down to openness. These, these, you know, artificial intelligence startups that are coming out now, they intend to be a platform on which others build and that means that everybody's excited to be involved with it because they, have, they see opportunity with it. Whereas uh, maybe Alexa and Siri were too closed as an ecosystem and, and uh, people didn't feel as excited about it. I also think there's a trust factor. Like I don't, I have a, a Tesla which has a lot of voice activated commands that you can use. Uh, I've never used Siri on my phone. I actually find it a terrible way of interfacing with the technology and maybe that's because I come from the era of of like exclusively keyboards long before cell phones and tablets were touch enabled. So maybe it's a generational thing or maybe it's just like my comfort level with technology, but I I find that I don't trust the voice activated AI-like systems because I know they're listening and I don't know what they're doing with it and I don't understand what's going on underneath the hood in a way that makes me feel comfortable with it. I don't know if they're listening in on things they shouldn't be, for example. And it's not like I do anything in my life that uh, would be particularly uh,
0: terrifying
1: for it to be out in the world, but you know, there are conversations you have within a family that don't need to be publicly disclosed to the world to hear. Or you know, when I'm driving, I often say mean things to the drivers around me and nobody needs to hear that. Um, and what's interesting to me as I say that is in the car, there are things I use though. I, I like to use it to change stations or to give me directions to a place. Um, sometimes I use it to call somebody else. But I think that's because I'm in a situation where my hands really aren't available. I, I, you know, I'm driving the car, I'm steering, and therefore uh, I don't really have another option that, that's safe. And so I'm willing to accept the, the, the awkwardness of that voice interface. Which is, as I say this, it seems odd to me that the voice interface is awkward, but it is, for me at least. So that's the question I'm putting out there, like, why, why is this fundamentally different? And if it has a profound change to our society, what is it that's going to change? I was thinking through a particular problem. It's directly related to what we're trying to do at VALA, and it actually caused me to rethink our strategy in a pretty big way. Uh, I believe very strongly in us trying to solve the ethical issues around AI, and uh, consent is a huge part of that. And what I realized in, as we're trying to solve it for the generative image diffusion model uh, problem is that underneath it all is a, is a deeper problem that we have to solve for. And I think maybe that's part of the answer to my previous question too. Now, the next thing that's of of, uh, particular interest today for me at least is, uh, are we going to see a a fundamental change? Like, I I feel like what's happening with ChatGPT in particular and uh, a lot of these other tools now is that we're, we're seeing a replacement of the way that we interact with our information systems uh, to a effectively like a personalized assistant that can go out and grab it. And that means that we're replacing fundamentally the internet as a whole. And we're replacing apps maybe as as a as a whole ecosystem. We're coming to a point where like Web 2.0, where they became a lot of walled gardens instead of there being a lot of open internet, like everybody focused in on the social media platforms and uh, you know, Facebook became what a lot of people think of as the entire internet, which by the way, is kind of how it started too. A lot of the early people using the World Wide Web before browsers came out and even after they occurred, were using things like AOL, which was a closed ecosystem too. So are we reverting to an even deeper form of that where everybody's gonna interface with the information that the world provides through just a couple places and that they'll do all their investigation and news gathering and scheduling and booking and you know whatever it is that you use that this information superhighway that is the internet for, is it all gonna be replaced with this? And if it does, if that's actually the way that we're going with it, uh, that raises a whole bunch of new concerns And a lot of those are around privacy, like how does uh, GDPR compliance come into it? And there's, you know, I mentioned it in yesterday's episode that there are uh, definitely lawsuits that will come up and requests that'll be made and and capabilities that will have to be built into these tools around consent of use for data and uh, what it's being used for. But here's the one that actually woke me up at four o'clock in the morning that, I I had a profound revelation on, and it's what I'm going to focus the next, at least, year on with the company. And that's around the question of uh, consent again. Now, and it comes down to this fundamental problem. Content creators, in the the original version of, you know, content dissemination and uh, sharing, you can think of like books and newspapers as a way of like holding information and sharing it on a broad group of people over a long period of time that gave the creator a, a livelihood. They could eat and they could live because they were selling the physical manifestation of that information in the form of a book or a newspaper. And at some point that became disrupted. Now books still exist, newspapers still exist. But the fundamental change that really happened with your more rapid information in the form of news is at first, there was the free daily that came out. So instead of just paying for the subscription and going and getting that particular issue, all of a sudden there was daily papers that came out that were giving you that information for free. It wasn't really for free, the, the, the compensation for that content creator was in the form of advertising. Now advertising had existed before that, uh, but it was a fundamental shift in the business model and what it did for information is it changed it from being something of known value uh, that you were paying for, and, you know, you were buying a newspaper, maybe it was a quarter a day or whatever, but you knew the value of it, you were paying for it, to something of an unknown value. You're getting it for free, so the information conceptually for you is free. But it has value to the other side, the advertiser, and why? And what is it about advertising that's um, problematic for me here? And this, and I'll get into that really quick. So. The first is that the content creator has a need in the form of they need to live, right? They need to be able to make a living and they do it by creating content, put it into the world, whether that's news or fiction or whatever. And the principal model for it is disrupted, but it was replaced with an advertising model. And what happened was advertisers initially were just paying to be seen with it. You've got an audience, you sell a bunch of new or give away a bunch of newspapers. And now, Um, I want access to that audience. And it, I I don't like, I'm gonna say that it's parasitic because it is, it's taking away from the the readers, you know, the consumer's interaction with that uh, information media data. And it's interjecting something that maybe they didn't want. And so it's somewhat parasitic, but it's also somewhat symbiotic, like the content creator can't exist without it. So great. Internet comes along, fundamentally disrupts the newspaper industry, um, forces them to become much more reliant on it. They start cutting costs and now news news is really bought by uh, large companies that are buying ads. If you watch it even on television, if you see ads go through, sometimes you'll see an ad for something that you can't buy. Uh, you can imagine a very large military contractor running an ad just talking about how green they are or how great they are, and you have to ask yourself, why are they running this ad? I can't buy anything from them. There's no direct relationship with it. And now, the, there's a multi-part answer to that. One of them is they're developing, a, or they want their brand to be known. They don't wanna be you know, hated in the world, maybe. But a lot more of it actually has to do with the control over the content itself. If you run ads in a newspaper, for example, and the newspaper becomes reliant on those ads, and then the newspaper runs an article you don't like, well, you just pull your ad. You weren't paying them to do something negative, but you negatively, you know, you you took away the thing you'd been giving them when they did something you didn't like. And that's how corporations have come to control a lot of our media, in the, you know, news media in particular. Uh, now that that on when it comes to the internet, you've got a very similar thing. You've got the open internet, people with websites, they run ads, you know, probably on Google Ad platform or, or another thing like it. What happens when all of a sudden you're consuming all of your information through a chat GPT-like tool where there isn't a place for the content, the original content creator of which the model was derived, the answers are coming from? And you, the consumer of it, how does the content creator get compensated? And at the core of what we're trying to do with Vol AI was that question. And this morning I had a major revelation on it and uh, I, I'm not gonna get into that secret sauce and I'm talking too much about my company, but it's these types of questions that we have to answer as we build these technologies and the solutions that we provide into the world have to be able to do them, not just for the consumer, not just for the content creator, but for the advertiser in this case as well. And I'm picking on advertising particularly, but I think it's a broader question. I think it goes across industries. And there's, uh, you know, I was in logistics, supply chain, international uh, level before my current role. And it has a lot of the same issues around trust and consent. And so I'll leave you with that. Uh, I, I love that I'm starting to see that people are listening to episodes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. I I hope that it's informative. Uh, I actually have my first guest scheduled for the episode in two days, and I'll I'll, uh, share with you who it is when we get closer to it and everything's confirmed, but uh, very excited to have the first guest on. If you know somebody that should be on this, if you know of other podcasts I should be on, places I should be contributing, or um, other contributors that should be on this platform with me on this show, Please leave a comment, Uh, send me an email at hammer at techtastic.tech.